The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 153 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals of the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, it's good to be back on the air after a short break with my awesome co-host, Andy Bonello, filling in for me. We've had some really kick-ass episodes lately, I got to tell you. We also had an awesome Encore episode last week with former 8200 Colonel and current co-founder and Chief Engineering Officer of Mitiga, Ariel Parnes appearing on episode 137 of Task Force 7 Radio. But if you didn't get to listen to that one, I would definitely make an effort to tune into that one. That was a great one. I mean, that's got thousands of letters. It's one of our best episodes uh, that we put up there. Um, you know, we make it easy for you, too. It should be right at the top of your episode library because it's an encore and it repost. So, you know, we find that when we actually put the encore episodes up there, Thousands of people tune into our Encore episodes, sometimes even more than the original post, if you can believe it or not, right? It just shows the diversity and how many people listen to our show and when they listen and so on and so forth. So that's great. Uh, it's, it's great to be able to peruse the library too. I mean, you can go in, find a guest or find a subject that you're interested in and just queue it up for listening. There's so much great content in there right now. Uh, I, you know, I can't believe we're on our 153rd episode. I just can't believe it. I mean, remember like it was yesterday, like we just, you know, stood this thing up and, and launched our pilot episode. And now we have 153, there's tons of content, tons of content. So you don't have to wait until you, you know, find a subject that you like. And because we do so many different domains in cybersecurity, there's so much to talk about. Um, you know, it's very feasible that you're not going to want to listen to every single episode, but I mean, you, can, you don't have to wait anymore. I mean, you just go in and just find the topic and guess that you want to listen to. And there's just tons and tons of content, right? So Check it out. I know a lot of you do listen to uh, every episode because you want to learn a lot about different domains and you want to learn about more than just what your, your expertise is. And if you're just a general listener and not in the business, you just want to learn about cybersecurity in general, which is awesome. So thank you very much for listening to the show. I mean, we really appreciate you. Um, check out the episode library, folks. Best guests in the business, hands down, I guarantee you. We got another great guest for you tonight. Strategic Advisor for the Bates Group and Chief Executive Officer of the Third Party Risk Institute, Linda Tuck Chapman, is going to be right here on Task Force 7 Radio. So Linda's one of the world's leading experts in third-party risk management. 
as one of the first chief procurement officers and heads of third-party risk management in the financial services sector, Linda led the creation of best practices and strategic sourcing in high-impact third-party risk management. As an advisor, she is a hands-on leader working collaboratively to help assess, strengthen, and mature client programs and practices. Linda's best-selling book, Third-Party Risk Management, Driving Enterprise Value, is published by RMA, and it's now in its second edition, and it's mandatory reading for certified third-party risk management professionals. Linda brings extensive real-world experience to her role as an advisor with the Bates Group, with former executive roles at firms like BMO Financial, Fifth Third Bank, as well as Scotiabank Group. It's going to be a great interview. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you learn a lot, folks. Let's jump right into it. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, strategic advisor to the Bates Group and chief executive officer of the Third Party Risk Institute, Linda Tuck Chapman. Linda, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Well, good morning. And how are you, George? I hope you're having a great day. <laughs> yeah, it's a great day today. I'm doing very well. Very busy, of course, as I know you are. We've been trying to get you on the show for a while now. So thanks for taking the time to speak with us. I'm very happy that you're here. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So as always, I want to start out with level setting about what we're going to talk about today, and that's third-party risk management. What is third-party risk management in your view? Third-party risk management is all about trying to find a way to rein in the risks of working with all those companies, the ecosystem in which your your own company functions. So third-party risk management is all about looking at those companies, the controls that they have, and making sure that they match your expectations and requirements. So it's, it's a little bit different than what people think, George. A, a lot of times people think that it, you're really looking at third parties working in your environment, which is something that we've always, we've always been concerned with. But third-party risk management is, an, is a relatively new risk discipline. And what, really what you're trying to do is, is figure out what risk might these relationships expose you to. You want to look at the control environment in the, in the other company, the third party's company itself. And determine whether or not when you're working with them, does their control environment match your control environment sufficiently so that you're not going to get yourself in any trouble by, by doing business with them? You know, security breaches, all kinds of problems. Right. So in instance, do they have the same standards around security that you do? Do they have the same security posture that you do and so on? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is, is, do you think third party is probably one of the top, let's call it three material risk that companies face today? It really is. And I think that it is, it's really hopped up to uh, a lot of people's notice, really right up to the board level. So if you're in the financial services sector, the regulators tried to make it much more important and draw people's attention to it some years ago. Because in safety and soundness exams, there's not a lot that, uh, that regulators can look at to determine whether or not your management capabilities, which is part of your safety and soundness rating, are, is sound enough. So third-party risk management capabilities has been part of a safety and soundness exam, one of the only four things that they examine in that area for years and years. So it always surprises me that third-party risk management has taken such a long time to come to the attention to uh, really of senior management and executives in anything beyond a compliance exercise. So, I mean, COVID-19, there's no doubt about it. If it wasn't a board agenda item, it is now. So everyone understands what vendors are. Everyone uses vendors. A lot of what most companies do use vendors. Are vendors considered third parties? And how do you view them in terms of risk? 
So vendors are, are just one element of your, uh, of your portfolio of third parties. And the reason why they don't call it vendor risk management anymore is because you do business with far more companies than just vendors. Mm -hmm. So think about companies that are into, uh, you know, brand partnerships, or do you use agents or resellers? Or do you, you know, if you're in the financial services sector, you're dealing with, uh, you know, market utilities like the exchanges or SWIFT, et cetera. And, um, you know, you may have, um, you know, a, a group of appraisers, like there's lots and lots of times when you don't pay them yourself, right, unlike vendors, and yet you still rely on them to, to, uh, to do business. So vendor, so third-party risk management consists of, of two types of relationships. One is vendors, they're pretty obvious. Um, whether you source them centrally or, or how you get there, you can always find them in accounts payable somewhere because you are, you know, you're, you're, you're paying a bill. But there's also the other type of relationship, the non-vendor, and those are sourced by the business, George. I mean, they don't go through accounts payable and they, they really have, you know, sort of the same risk profile, but very different risk treatment. And so Risk Management Association uh, is one of the organizations I'm very, very close to, RMA. And we coined a phrase there through the third-party risk management roundtable, and we call them non-vendor third parties. Sounds simple, but it's a lot easier to communicate that you're talking vendors and non-vendor relationships, that whole ecosystem that delivers your business. That's right. So I think there's a lot of terminology out there that sounds confusing and it sounds the same. I think people use different words interchangeably uh, in third-party risk management. So what is the difference between supply chain management, vendor management, and then you have third-party risk management? How does this all come together? You know, it's a good question. And I think the language is starting to converge, which really helps. I mean, talk, not too many people talk about vendor risk management anymore because of the reasons we, you know, what I just covered. But the difference between supply chain management and third-party risk management is, is a, it really is a little bit different, but they're closely related. So depending on the industry that you're in, you may actually have a fairly long supply chain of, of goods and services that allow you to produce a product. Whereas in a lot of services organizations, you know, there's not much in the way of durable goods or parts or whatnot, whatever that you need to run your business. And so if you're in a service industry, they, they tend to talk about it as third-party risk management. Third-party risk management does cover the entire spectrum of every industry. And then a subset, therefore, if you're, you know, if you're in a manufacturer or something like that, you have a subset with just the supply chain, which is really moving things around. It's, it's much more logistics focused. Third-party risk management is all about you know, many, many, many different types of risks you might be exposed to. And it's easy to think about what those might be, you know, cyber, uh, fraud, uh, you know, uh, uh, let me see, business continuity risk. The things that are a little bit more esoteric and they're harder to wrap your arms around because of that. So in cybersecurity, we're always talking about being business aligned when we're creating our defense and death posture. How does third-party relationship management coexist with third-party risk management? You know, I, I'm so glad that you brought up the business of this because a lot of a lot of uh, people that I know in third-party risk management roles, they get a bit lost in all of the activities, et cetera, and kind of forget why are we actually doing this. You know, there is a value proposition in, in effective third-party risk management. It really is in the same way that a cybersecurity expert would think about, you know, uh, prevent, detect, respond. You're just looking at a, this on a much broader spectrum. So, so what you have basically is all of those risks, the cyber risks, uh, you know, um, 
uh, information security risks, records management, all the things you do internally, you now have to be concerned about whether or not your third party is doing them well. So then when you start to marry it all together, there is the risk management side of things, which was mostly what I've talked about so far, but it also comes down to relationship management. You know, the, the business owns these relationships. They own the, you know, service delivery or the products or goods that are coming their way. They own their own business outcomes. And this is one element of it, is managing the risk of the third parties that, are, that they're doing business with, but also managing the relationship. You know, a couple of years back, I wrote the first edition of my book, uh, Third Party Risk Management, Driving Enterprise Value. And in, in that whole exercise of, of writing my book, George, it reminded me of, you know, when you go through your MBA and at the end you think, well, what did I actually learn? And you learn basically kind of it depends and do you have the right frameworks and models to rely on to figure out what the answer is. And it's the same thing here. If you have the right frameworks and models to determine, you know, sort of what are these companies all about? Are, are, they, a com are they companies that I want to be in business with? It comes right down to just that. I mean, pick the right company, do your homework. And if you do that well, you, you, you'll make it through any problem that you encounter. Yeah, so we also talk about, you know, third parties and how they have advantages and disadvantages to companies. And then obviously some of the advantages they provide is providing the products and services you pay them for mm -hmm. uh, to fulfill a gap in your existing operations. But there's also some of the more dangerous parts of having third party uh, part of your business. So how could a third party either improve or hurt your company's operation? And also there, let's talk about reputation risk and then the bottom line as well. Oh, sure. Well, I, I would like to think about the upside about doing business with other companies. I mean, there, there's a reason why they're there. They are better at some element of your business than you could ever be, either because they've specialized in it or it requires really specialized ex expertise or something. So generally speaking, you know, companies, uh, third parties can really make a huge difference by improving your business, bringing innovation and bringing good things. But in doing so, you know, it's like any company, right? They, they want to get out to market quickly. They may not really understand your company's security posture needs because they're, they're not in the same business that you're in. So those are the ways that they can, they can really harm you is that they don't really understand what your security posture is, what your risk management uh, capabilities need to be, how much risk you're willing to take on. And that's why you really need to look at how they run their business. What controls do they have in place? And are they in any way commensurate with your expectations? And then it's not like you're not gonna take on risk, of course you are, but what you really need to do is make risk-informed decisions and enter relationships with your eyes wide open. Because there's always going to be risks there. And the, and the question is, are you willing to accept those risks or will you accept them, but you're going to add your own internal controls because you're concerned about them? Now, this really doesn't touch on financial risk these days because it's really, really hard to determine the financial condition of, of a third party because most of the data that's out there is historical. So I think, you know, if you're really trying to figure out where do you want to focus some of your attention with, you know, with the financial health risk, is look at the companies that weren't super strong before the pandemic. And that's maybe, maybe where you're going to start. Because if you're, if you're in your managed portfolio of relationships, they are important to your business and they're important to your overall survival. So, so then, you'll, in, in, you know, the second part of your question is really, how can they affect your company? Well, there's no doubt that 
you know, in the long run, if there's a problem with a third party, you are accountable. You are acquiring services uh, from them and your customers <laughs> expect you to deliver. So if, if you've chosen the wrong third party or you don't have the right controls in place or you didn't understand the risk you were taking on, that's not their fault. I mean, they expect you to deliver day in and day out on a consistent basis. So reputation risk is what I like to call a consequential risk. So you can't really go measure uh, your reputation risk when you're, when you're in business with a, with a third party. But what you can do is look at all the other elements of risk and determine whether or not, uh, you know, basically they've got good control. Because if they have a problem, like a security breach or an interruption of service or something that's really noticeable, it's going to hurt your reputation. It may hurt theirs, but it's definitely going to hurt your reputation. So it, it all comes down to the bottom line. And then the real bottom line is that it may well hurt your future revenue growth or it can hurt your current revenue or it can attract fines and all kinds of problems to remediate. So, um, you know, so it, it's kind of a continuum. Get in business with the right companies, make sure you understand their control environment, keep an eye on it. And then if something goes wrong, basically, you know, do you have any kind of forewarning or could you have put controls in place to, to respond more quickly? Because it's like a cyber risk event. It's not if, it's when and how bad is it going to be? So I like to talk about organizational structure a lot, especially when we have these sort of niche uh, cybersecurity domains. And this is a very huge topic in cybersecurity. It's always, I think, in, uh, one of the top material risks that people deal with, including insider threat and, and, a, and a few other things, destructive malware, things like that. It's right up there with those types of threats. So where do you think third-party risk management fits into companies that have like operational or enterprise risk management functions for frameworks already in place? Oh, well, that, that makes it much, much easier to, to put a good third-party risk management framework in place because you've already defined your sort of high-level risks, you know, usually strategic, you know, reputation risk, financial risk, legal and regulatory. I mean, th those are kind of a given. And then from there, it fans out. So your operational risk is, is basically everything that can affect your operations, right? You, whether you have a formal uh, program or a department internally, you're still really looking at these component elements that will, will deliver your goods and services to, uh, to your customers reliably. So then you take it to the next stage. And, you know, not everybody can afford to have a third-party risk management uh, specialty function, but, but they really need to build it in somewhere. And then it comes down to third-party risk management is a team sport. It really touches just about everybody in, in, the, in the organization. So in one of my lives, I actually went back as chief procurement officer for, uh, for a large financial institution. And we recast the third-party risk management program to strengthen it. And in doing so, just to get it off the ground, we had to train 1,600 people. <laughs> so, you know, it really does touch everybody. So you've got You've got the people in the business, right, who are acquiring these relationships. They need to understand what the risk might be so that they can be a good business partner. And then they need to manage and monitor their relationships and the risk. So that's what they, what's known as the first line of defense, right, the business and the business owner. And then you get all these risk specialists like somebody who, who's in cybersecurity, information security, third-party risk. I also like to think of procurement as being part of that second line, the risk specialist, because you all have to work together. And where these relationships work very, very smoothly, there's good communication and there's good workflow and everybody understands what their roles and responsibilities are. It's really, it's really well, it's not easy, but it's much, much easier to build a good program 
that really works. Because if you think about the intake, right, a lot of these relationships either come through a procurement function or they should come through some, some structured process to get them into the queue. And that way, if you understand what the risk exposure is, I mean, what kinds of risks might we be exposed to just by doing business with this company? Do they have access to our data? Are they connected to our networks? You know, uh, basically, what, who, are they in any kind of contact with our customers and so on and so forth? If you understand that, and then you also under, understand how they're going to deliver services. So, you know, as a service is always in the cloud, so you've got cloud risk there. So if you get a good process up front so that you can identify what the risk might be, that means that all those risk specialists know what to do when they're doing their job. And you know, George, I, I've gone into companies where, you know, there are people in the, in the risk specialty functions and are doing due diligence and they, they don't even really understand what the services are that are being acquired. And therefore it's really, you know, they can do a broad, a, you know, broad brush risk management assessment but it's hard for them to really focus on the things that matter. So what I'm really trying to say is having a, a really a good, a good process and people working closely together and knowing what, you know, what they're up against, you can get to a much better place in the long run when you decide to do business or to renew a contract uh, with these organizations. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense, right? So we're, when there's process in place, and process is king, I think, in any type of uh, risk management uh, function, uh, it's easier. It's easier, obviously, to manage uh, the risk associated with the third party or any risk for that matter. And there's governance models already in place for that process to sort of navigate through the organization. So let's talk about that for a second. Who are the stakeholders? Like, what are their roles? And what does that governance model look like in third party risk management for, you know, medium to large size organization? Well, there, there's both a life cycle, right? So it, it's really the steps and activities you you go through which is from, you know, the point the business needs something all the way through to, you know, terminating a relationship. But you asked me about the governance model, and I'm really glad that you did, because a lot of people don't really think about the governance model itself and what that might entail. So it does, it does require a lot of stakeholders to get it right. So we talked about the roles and responsibilities just briefly of the business, uh, the business owner. You know, they own the relationship, they own the risk, they own the ongoing management and monitoring. And we also talked a little bit about the risk management functions, but a lot of people do get a bit confused, you know, because we talk about first line of defense and then there's this 1.5 and 2B, et cetera, that, that confuses me a lot too. So I, I like to keep it fairly clean, right? That the first line of defense and business owners, they own the relationship, they own the risk. Everybody else except for audit is in a kind of a second line risk specialist function. So the separation between enterprise risk management operational risk management, third-party risk management, and the other risk oversight functions is really a matter of, you know, who, what, what, who provides, you know, true governance and oversight for the process. So the true governance and oversight really comes from your, you know, your, your centralized or centralized risk function, enterprise or operational risk management overseas. They're responsible for making sure that the methodologies to identify risk, to evaluate the controls, to, you know, to come to a residual risk rating and to, you know, to, to enable a challenge function as things are going astray, et cetera. All of these governance tools really belong to your risk function. So they're, they're the ones that really should be approving them and, and then providing oversight to the actual risk, the aggregated risk for the organization. So third-party risk management is really kind of an aggregator function that works with all these risk specialists and they focus on their own risk domain. 
if there's a physical security risk, then what do we evaluate in the third party's environment to determine whether or not their physical security requirements meet ours? You know, do they have, uh, you know, how do you get into a building? Do they protect their loading docks? What about their cameras, et cetera? These types of things are, are things that are second nature to someone in physical security. But, and so they need to look at the third party's environment. So all those risk specialists come together and, but third party risk management, that function is responsible for making sure it gets aggregated and then reported back to the business and the risk function in a kind of, in a logical way so they can see and understand the risk and they can determine whether or not they want to accept them or add additional risk treatment. So that means they also need to rely on the legal department because legal will, you know, do the contracting. That's where a lot of the controls fall. Uh, compliance usually has a role to play because there is regulatory or legal compliance that the third party has to know about and so on and so forth. And then, and then you have your usual risk and oversight committees, et cetera. So it, it, it's not uncomplicated, but if you can put a good program in place, you can make it look like a well-oiled machine. So we got to transition into commercial break here, but stick with us, folks. We're going to break down what the life cycle looks like in risk management and really sort of get into a deep dive on some of this stuff. Conversation's going to get even better. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's george at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, folks, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, strategic advisor to the Bates Group and the chief executive officer of the Third Party Risk Institute, Linda Tuck Chapman. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., 
Cynet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Cynet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Cynet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Strategic Advisor to the Bates Group and the Chief Executive Officer of Third Party Risk Institute, Linda Tuck Chapman. So, Linda, before the uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, getting into a mature lifecycle model for third party risk management and what that looks like. Can you take us through that? Uh, absolutely. So, first of all, let me just say that a lifecycle management model really is, a, I, I like a visualization of the steps and key activities that take you from the point where you thought you might like to work uh, with the third party all the way through the whole life cycle to the point of termination. So I, I usually like to depict that as a visual model because think back of all the people who are involved in this. It's sometimes a little hard to explain how it works and what their part is. So the mature model has, first of all, it has to cover the entire life cycle. And it starts out, as we talked earlier, with the business, right? The business has to have a need. It's either a new, a renewing, or an amendment to a new renewing agreement or an amendment to an existing one that will give rise to the activities that take place in the third-party risk management lifecycle. So you always need to be able to identify the risks. And that's not always as easy as you, as you think, but there are certain risks that, that are a given, Right. As I mentioned before that if it's uh, as a service, you know that you have a cloud component of it. You know you're going to have a technology component of it to it. There may be, you know, records involved, uh, confidential data, et cetera. Uh, they may, in fact, be delivering services from another country and so on and so forth. So those are the kinds of things you want to understand just with doing business with them. What kinds of risks would that this expose me to as an organization that would be outside of what I can directly control. 
So then uh, you could just go through a process, right? So screening is really important because there's lots of, uh, there's lots of bad actors and bad people, bad countries out there. And that I, I usually like to think of it as that. Basically, you know, before you go too far down the road, do you want to do business with them? Are they on a sanctions person's list? You know, are, is their financial help stable enough? Are, there, are their products and services competitive? Or do they really meet your needs? So that's the screening step. And so then uh, once you decide who you want to do business with, I go back because, uh, I go back and confirm the risks that you thought you knew about. And the reason why you do that is my personal experience, having been a chief procurement officer for many years, when you go out to talk to a company or, or think you have a business need, you end up learning a lot in the process. And that's, that's why you should go back and confirm the risk. Maybe you're not going to do exactly what you thought you were going to do when you first started the process. So go back, make, double check and make sure you really understand the risk. And that can take you into the due diligence uh, process, which is really, really problematic. You know, nobody's really been able to crack this nut. So what's happening today is organizations are sending out questionnaires to their third parties and their vendors, et cetera, who are getting inundated on the other side with these requests for information. And, you know, we all think we're special. So everybody has a slightly different version of the same things, which is really challenging for the receiving end who have to respond to these. And there are some market utilities that are out there. There's a few different um, licensed products you can buy that have due diligence questions, which kind of helps if, they're, if they've been adopted by, um, by your sector. Uh, but, or you can, you know, in many cases, you can rely on a, on a SOC report. Uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the standards of control. And if they're exactly for the same services that you're getting in exactly the same location, you, you know, a lot of companies like to place heavy, heavy reliance on them. They're really not the be all and the end all because those two have user controls that you have to have in place in order for their controls to work. And you know what, they are often kind of dated. So I've, I've heard of companies uh, relying on them and not really being able to, you know, things have gone wrong fairly quickly. So this whole due diligence phase is really, really lengthy and messy and time consuming. And George, I mean, I'm really hoping that new AI solutions and, and some of these uh, shared utilities are going to start to reduce the workload here. But eventually you'll get your due diligence back and you're ha- going to have to go through and evaluate the third party's control. And it is a bit squishy because they are rating themselves and telling you what they do. And so if you do a good job at this and try not to rate too many individual elements, but try to look at the bigger picture to sort of more at the, sort of at the slightly summary level, um, that we have a, have a better chance of actually doing a good job in the risk scoring. Because what you want to do is you want to look at the risk you are facing, the control environment, and that brings you down to the risks that you think that you that are really not covered well, which is the residual risk. There's always going to be some risk. And so once you know all that, basically you should be ready to apply any additional controls that you want, uh, maybe internally or ask the third party to do something differently. I remember way, way back when, when I was a CPO, we went over to a foreign country to examine their operations and found, believe it or not, we found that they had their, their mainframe in a room with a window in it, right? So, I mean, little things <laughs> could cause big problems. So we said, fine, I mean, here's what we want you to do in the meantime and get that window uh, bricked over. So, right, so sometimes you have additional controls for the third party or that you're gonna impose internally. And usually internal controls are just more monitoring. 
So then you're ready to, uh, you're ready to uh, negotiate a contract. And a lot of companies have not developed their own standard uh, clauses. You know, they'll rely on the third parties' uh, contracts in order to negotiate. And it's a hard way to get to a standard. So my preference is, I mean, pick those, you know, 10 to 15 clauses that really matter and risk adjust them. So you don't need the same risk treatment for a small relationship in terms of business continuity management as you would a large uh, relationship. So you might just need to know they have a business continuity plan, but in other cases, you might want to test it with them, right? So that, that's, a, that's a, a contractual control that you can put in. But if you have your own clauses here, I think you would do a much better job of coming to some consensus in terms of how much risk you've taken on and whether or not you're able to negotiate those clauses. So then uh, I really think it's important that the business knows what kind of risk they're taking on. So I'm a big fan of a fair amount of uh, transparency and granularity, because I know when I've been in, the, in a corporate role, uh, when you're able to provide this information to the business owner in, you know, a, a leader in the first line of defense, the business owner at the relationship, sometimes they're surprised that they, at the risk that they've already taken on, which they find out about during renewal phase, right? So so, uh, so you want to you want to make sure they know exactly what they're signed up for, and that's why I think a risk acceptance process is really important. But also, they they should be well informed. So then, uh, for the big relationships, especially those with, that you have huge reliance on or lots of risk, just those ones, I think you should have a decent management plan. You know, are you going to have a governance structure? Do you need a dedicated relationship manager, and so on and so forth? And so, and how often are you going to go in? you know, uh, refresh your SLAs and that, that management plan, you know, there's always sort of a, a small M and some of them have a big M management plan. And that might lead to a scorecard to say, okay, on a half yearly or quarterly basis, I'm going to go back and report into senior management, enterprise risk management and tell them how this really important relationship is doing. And then uh, we also have risk monitoring along the way, you know, how often do you want to retest those controls? And then someday you're going to wrap up the relationship and you're going to exit it. And so having a good termination process is also important because sometimes there's unintended consequences of pulling up part of a relationship uh, versus, uh, it, it, you know, the impact on a single business unit may be somewhat immaterial, but uh, at, at large, in fact, it might affect your overall relationship with this third party with other parts of the business that are that still want to work with them. And the other thing is that I find that people, you know, they, they don't necessarily um, have, a good, have a good way to get back the data in a usable format, et cetera. So having a good plan out front uh, helps you along. And then basically you're, you're right back into the, the life cycle again. So it's a long explanation, George, but you know, there's a lot of key, key activities that go into managing something as important as a, as a third-party relationship that you're reliant on. So I think that doing a decent job on, on putting a life cycle in place that people know what to do and how to do it and they've got the tools to do their job would really serve companies well. So you talked a little bit about confirming the exposure that you have with a company when you identify a risk. Let's yeah. talk about the pink elephant in the room, right? Let's talk about frequency. Let's talk about velocity and let's talk about scalability, right? Oh my gosh. The biggest problems, right? <laughs> you have a, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's huge. What are your thoughts on this? How do we solve this problem? Well, I, I think it's being being sensible. I mean, the scalability can come from buying, uh, buying a technology that can, you know, either a point solution or part of a, 
a governance risk and compliance system. Like without technology, I mean, you can see this would give you a massive headache every day. You would never get anything done and you would spend all your time on activities and trying to manage, you know, workflow. So number one is, is if you want to make it scalable, buy a decent technology and make good use of it and configure it properly, right? A lot of times people complain the technology, well, you know, I saw the enemy and it was us. <laughs> so, but, but the, whole, the whole problem of basically keeping this massive engine running is actually a very, very difficult one uh, to do well. So, uh, so some of the things that I've learned over time is, is really, I mean, first of all, don't, don't go on a fishing trip. Right. If you're doing due diligence, I, I find a lot of times people, they don't, they're not overly clear about what they're looking for. They don't have a good way to, you know, to actually quantify the risk in a consistent way. Right. So those methodologies are important. I also think it's equally important to recognize the expertise of your people. Right. So if you get them, if you get their, your technology to do your scoring and all that type of stuff for you, then have your people look at it and see, does it make sense? Right. Because sometimes they know something they can't, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to program for every eventuality. So they know something that actually would change your risk profile, usually more. But, you know, your, your pink elephant in the room is, is how do you make it all run? I, I, not only do I think you should have technology, but there's lots of good services out there. So think about basically all the companies that do cyber uh, health, uh, cyber risk health assessments. They'll, you know, they have alerts that they can send you if there's, there's a problem out there. So, so the challenge with those is a you should have them, but b know them how to take into your take them into your program so you can sort out the parts that really matter. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said they get so many financial health alerts that they don't know what to do with them, right? So find a way to filter out uh, uh, the ones that don't matter and just the ones that do. So it's it's it is technology reliant, and then also a lot of people don't really have much training in this. Right? They don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. And it feels a lot like a compliance exercise as a result. So I, I, I think this, you know, this is a messy process still. And I think that there's a long way to go before we could really say that we've got it nailed. And I think a part of the problem is we're not relying heavily enough on, on technology and, and some of the new, newer tools like AI and RPA and NLP. And it's just like there's a lot out there and it's not really been leveraged to my, in my mind. So we talked about the process. We just talked about the technology a little bit and the importance of that in this whole life cycle uh, management uh, process. What is, who are the key players? Let's talk about the people. <laughs> who does all this? You just described a very you know, comprehensive life cycle mm-hmm. here that involves, I, I would imagine, a lot of different groups and not only information security, but in risk management and other parts of the organization. Who are these people? Well, I, I think you have to step back and look at what are all the possible risks that you that you try to manage and monitor in your organization. And then there's somebody in the organization that has responsibility for making sure that those, you know, that, that the risks are managed at the corporate level. So it so that's why I'm so adamant that you should have a decent workflow. You should only involve people when they're needed, right? Because if you bring them in when there's no risk present, it's just a giant waste of their time. So, uh, so for example, uh, if you think about uh, any bribery, any corruption, and uh, uh, financial uh, FCPA, so financial, uh, what is that one? Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. You know, in the long run, not, companies are not really exposed greatly to this in the financial services sector. But I mean, think back at some of the news reports where they actually have had a problem. 
So there's someone usually in the legal or compliance department who knows a lot about bribery and co corruption in that particular law. And they, they should be in the workflow if in fact there is some sort of risk exposure. So if you send someone into a foreign country to represent your company to business or to government, excuse me, if you represent you to government, you're, you are automatically exposed to FCPA. So you have to know your stuff and then basically you have to actually design your workflows so that, oh gosh, there is somebody who, we, we do have this profile of this risk and get it over to those people in your system so that they know there's something happening and they can do their job. So, so when you look across all the risks, so, you know, cloud computing is an interesting one. Does that belong to technology risk? Do you have a cloud committee? Uh, do, you know, is that a cyber risk, et cetera? But somebody is ultimately accountable for making the call on, on what your company should do in terms of, you know, dealing, working with, the, with cloud providers, what can be in the cloud, what the rules are, et cetera. So the real trick of this is back to the beginning. Identify the risk and make sure your workflow uh, gets you to the right place. So if the risk is identified and they don't really need to be involved until the due diligence comes back, they just need to know that there's work coming, right? So they just need to be informed that this is in their queue, but they don't need to do anything yet. So it's really, it's really a well-designed process that will get you to a, to a good place. But I have a list of like 25 different common risks that, that cover, you know, cover a lot of different um, types of financial services companies and many, many, many of them extend into, into every industry. So these are ones that I always, always talk about, right? So our services being delivered from a foreign location, you know, so who's responsible for country risk in your organization? And I find that, you know, somebody either in third-party risk or procurement ends up with all the orphans, right? If nobody really owns it, then it needs to be owned by somebody. And quite often that's where it falls. So as a chief procurement officer, I had responsible for third-party risk. And then I had a lot of orphan risk, subcontractor, uh, which is also fourth, it's known as fourth party, um, financial, um, service, uh, foreign country risk, et cetera. So you just figure out who owns it and find a way to bring them in the workflow, but only when they're needed. Okay, Linda, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, strategic advisor to the Bates Group and the chief executive officer of the Third Party Risk Institute, Linda Tuck Chapman. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. 
In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guests, Strategic Advisor to the Bates Group and the Chief Executive Officer of the Third Party Risk Institute, Lyndon Tuck Chapman. So, Linda, in the home stretch here, I want to talk about um, some of the risk that third parties bring as a result of their relationship with an organization, specifically what type of risk. Can you give us your thoughts on that and how it relates to cybersecurity? Oh, absolutely, yes. So, first of all, uh, when you think about the risks, I, I mentioned that I track uh, 25 different risks. That, those are kind of what I covered in my book. Today, the top three, George, are financial risks. So it's a financial health of your third party because that's a very uncertain thing. Uh, information security and particularly cybersecurity and business continuity management. So cybersecurity, I, you know, I, in the long run, we do know that working from home has created a whole new set of cyber risks. And you mentioned earlier that you're really focused on insider risk. That's, that's uh, deliberate, intentional, or very often unintentional. So that last mile is a real problem now with information security and cyber risk. The number of attacks on companies and their third parties in terms of cyber attacks is growing. I mean, gosh, I got left, locked out of my online banking the other day from a big, big bank for about two hours. So I'm pretty sure they were suffering a DDoS attack. And there isn't a company out there that hasn't had a, a serious cyber attack, whether it's malware, whether it's DDoS, or whether it's you know attempting to penetrate their uh, their network and their systems. So we do know that uh, this is always a challenge. I think anybody in the role who is responsible for cybersecurity uh, has really been there. It's a challenging job, and certainly the stakes are higher than ever. And you know that if someone wants to attack your company, they're going to go after the weakest link. And quite often, that weakest link is back to your third party, that they have access to your networks and systems, 
and they don't have the same security posture as you do, that's where you're going to suffer your vulnerabilities. There's just no two ways about it. And there's so many examples in the news every day uh, that, uh, you know, I hesitate to cite just one. So uh, when I step back, though, and look at some of the other ones that are uh, kind of top three, the financial health is pretty hard to gauge because we have historical records that we're relying on. So some of the services out there, they do balance sheet analysis, et cetera. But uh, in the long run, you're probably going to have to rely on multiple sources to determine whether or not there's a problem, right? Because it's just not going to be as obvious as, as it might have been in the past. And one area that I think is a real problem is business continuity management. And that does tie in directly into cyber health and cyber posture, information security, et cetera. But if you, if you think about it as its own risk discipline, for years now, I've been concerned that the ability that companies have to determine the strength of the controls and, and really the capabilities of a third party's business continuity management, uh, controls, skills, et cetera, their ability to recover is actually pretty weak. And that's because most firms that I work with, most business leaders, they really look at the business continuity management in terms of their own environment. But understanding what the, what the controls are in the third party's environment and whether or not they can truly stand themselves back up again and recover from, you know, a short, like an outage or a serious attack. So, you know, where's their data? Where are you in queue to be restored? Because they're, they're not going to restore everything at once. So business continuity management, when it comes to looking at the third party, is, is a real area of weakness. And that in itself basically is, is sort of tied into the whole. So those are kind of the top three. And then once we get uh, a lot of the uh, COVID-19 uh, risks under better control, there's a few that I'd like people to consider is one, we do know that uh, service level agreements are often poorly written and, you know, sort of they're the, at best a watermelon uh, type, which is green on the outside, red on the inside. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I certainly as a chief procurement officer, I really felt that it's somebody's responsibility to learn how to do these things properly. And so I, I made it ours because that's not the business's responsibility, right? Is, is, to, is to really truly understand the nuts and bolts of putting together in a good SLA. But you sure feel the pain if you don't have a good one. Uh, fourth party is something that keeps coming up over and over again, George, because most companies do not know who their material fourth parties are. So those third parties you're relying on, they have their own third parties they're relying on. Who are they? Are you doing business with them directly or indirectly? And, and what, do you, what do you think about the fourth parties? Because if the fourth party fails, that will make your third party fail, and then you'll have a problem. And then I think a lot of people have also been quite surprised when they're digging in, especially because of COVID-19, they're digging deeper. They find out that fourth parties actually have access to you know, confidential data. And that's something maybe they weren't aware of before. So all these things kind of tie together. And last but not least is model risk. That's a whole topic unto itself. And I think that that's going to be the risk of the future we'll be talking more about. Linda, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to have you back, maybe on a panel as well. Hopefully, uh, you might be available for that, a third-party risk management panel. We're, we're thinking about putting some different cybersecurity panels together. We're even thinking about going to video. We got all kinds of things in the hopper uh, under consideration. So uh, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, and I appreciate it. And I'm sorry if it's a bit of a monologue, George. This is a huge topic. <laughs> and uh, I'm passionate about it, as you can tell. So Yeah, well, that's why we have you on. And that's why we're talking about it, right? It's a really big topic. Uh, it's certainly a big issue in cybersecurity. So very interesting stuff. Thanks. Thanks, George. Have a great All day. Right. It's, it's okay. time to go, folks. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 